Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion for Monday night, the 28th day of September 2015. We're just about done with September. Uh, Thursday's 1st October. Can't believe it. It's, uh, you know, pumpkin day is going to be here, and then we're all going to be stuffed with turkey, and then... Very shortly thereafter, we're going to be going ho, 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 Happy New Year. So uh, things are moving fast. Uh, They're moving fast in legal land on a bunch of things that some of us are involved in as well. But I need to do the very quick disclaimer. And by the way, I'm just Dave. That's all I am, just Dave. You know, that's uh, what they've called me for years. But um, on this call, you don't hear any legal advice unless by some chance we have one of the attorneys that we work with or uh, you know which we do have some attorneys that come on the calls if they come on the call and identify themselves as an attorney and they make some statements about giving some suggestions or advice they will let you know they're giving you legal advice but other than that when we are talking when I say we I'm talking all the people on this call not just the moderators we don't give legal advice first of all we don't know what it is Uh, Second of all, uh, a bar-licensed attorney is the one that's authorized by whoever to uh, give that stuff out or uh, sell it or, you know, whatever they do with it. But the bottom line is we have discussion of legal issues. We speak uh, to a a pretty fair degree, uh, the the moderators on here, uh, of actual firsthand experience in litigating as well as a lot of study and research. Other people uh, have varying amounts of Uh, knowledge through study and their own experience but when we say well you know you want to do this or you want to do that when we're talking about somebody's situation that uh, they have brought up please understand that when we're saying that we're saying that in in the context that if we were in your place in your situation that's what we would do Uh, obviously we're not uh, giving you advice we're making suggestions on what we think might be appropriate activities for you to uh, to do or to look at. But the bottom line is we never give legal advice. We don't pretend to give legal advice. We talk about these issues. We're willing to share the knowledge that we've gained through our own experience and our study. And the whole purpose of this call since day one has been education. It's to bring people together to help each other come together as a community instead of all being isolated individuals, which they would love to have everybody be because it's a lot easier to control you that way. So uh, the bottom line is, uh, with everything we do, we do it for free. And the only thing we ask in return for the effort and the time that we, and when I say we, I'm talking to moderators, everybody, Jeff, John, Terry, myself, that are usually on this call. Uh, Jesse, he's the one that's got the website and everything. 
for what we give to you guys, the only thing we ask in return is to pay it forward when you have the opportunity. Help other people learn. If somebody needs some assistance with something along the way, help them with it. Don't do their work for them because then they don't learn. But freely help other people when you are able to do so. That's the only thing we ask. And we have a tremendous amount of people that do that. And uh, I personally want to thank all of you for that. Uh, when we hear success from uh, coming from people that were helped by other members that learned and stuff, it's... Uh, that makes every moment that we spend doing this worthwhile to us. And I know I speak for all of the other moderators here. We all are in the same position. We all look at this exactly the same way. It's not about money. It's about learning. It's about getting relief when our rights are violated. That's the bottom line. So with all that said, uh, when you come on this call, you're unmuted. I ask everybody to hit star six and mute yourself. That's how you do it. Just hit star six on the keypad in your phone. If you need to talk uh, after you've been muted, all you have to do is hit star six again, and that will unmute you. It's a toggling feature. And if you listen to your phone when you do that, you'll hear it say, uh, this nice female voice, you are muted. You are unmuted. Now, uh, we're going to go to good news here in a second, and then after that, we'll go to uh, questions and uh, people that are in the queue make comments or ask questions about situations or whatever they uh, have questions about. But uh, when you uh, go to do that, uh, to put yourself in the queue, please have yourself muted using star six first, and then hit star eight, and then leave your keypad alone, because if you fiddle with your keypad after that, it'll change things. That saves me a step, and sometimes the board gets a little gummed up. So I ask you to please have yourself muted using star six first, then hit star eight. I'm more than happy to take your questions. Uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, this is a two-hour call. Generally, uh, I try and get this done at 10 o'clock Central, 11 Eastern. Uh, once in a while, we run a little bit past to try and help people, but we're trying to keep it to right about two hours, as you can imagine. I'm up to my eyeballs in paperwork and stuff with all the legal I have going, and I was just mentioning for those of you that have come on the call in the last little bit, just before the call tonight, uh, I went out and I bought another box, not a box, another box of file folders because I had a six-inch high stack of paperwork that I needed to file, and I've got actually a couple more stacks, uh, close to two inches uh, high on those. All of this stuff to get filed and everything having to do with the litigation I'm involved in. So uh, I'm getting into a lot of paperwork. But when you're filing four lawsuits a week against somebody and then they're being moved to federal court and then they're being moved into an MDL and all that stuff, there's an awful lot to do. So uh, I, I have my hands full. And I don't, you know, I'm not complaining. Uh, not complaining at all. In fact, I'm uh, uh, very happy and uh, pretty well organized to, to do what I'm doing, and uh, I'm going to protect my rights. And I'm, if it means a lot of work, so be it. But in the end, I will prevail. There's no doubt in my mind. Okay, with all that said, if anybody has any good news, all you have to do is speak up and uh, you don't have to hit star eight. All you have to do is speak up and tell us what kind of good news you got. 
floor is yours. Well, goodness, don't everybody step on each other. <laughs> We're still in the uh, uh, late summer, early fall stage where I know there's a lot of people that took some time off for the summer and uh, there's less litigation activity uh, for some people during that period of time, and that's fine. doesn't mean that stuff isn't going on. But uh, uh, the only thing I've got personally is I'm still negotiating uh, with a, another company on settlement, but the uh, lawyer doesn't seem to want to respond. And uh, if that's the case, then uh, in that particular case, I'll just file a lawsuit and we'll do the dance in federal court. And then I'm also negotiating with uh, uh, an attorney that I have dealt with before in multiple cases. And uh, she uh, called me Friday to uh, let me know because I had dropped her an email. And she actually called me Friday afternoon. We had a very nice, pleasant conversation, actually, you know, a little bit of a personal conversation, which was nice. She's a, she's a very nice gal, and she's moving along in her career and was telling me some of the stuff she's doing, and, and that's great. But she's always been instrumental in helping resolve the issues that I've had, and uh, it would be great if uh, far more of the attorneys out there were like her. Uh, she's uh, she's very helpful. She's a good attorney. Uh, make no mistake, she's out there to represent her client, but uh, she is not one of these that uh, wants to play stupid games. Uh, if possible, she would like to get things resolved. And uh, she actually uh, used the R word uh, in describing me again. And... Uh, that R word is, and I'm getting a call. I want to wait. There we go. Okay, I should be past all the beeps now. Uh, that R word is reasonable. She has told me before that I'm reasonable. And that's a reflection on how I negotiate. So, um, you know, if you want to get results similar to what I've gotten with a lot of things, maybe take some cues from the way I, I go about uh, negotiating things. I, I don't try and be the bull in a china shop and kill everybody, but I'm, those of you that have seen some copies of my emails, you, you know I'm, I'm not going to monkey around. I'm not going to play games, but uh, I'm reasonable and fair. So uh, that's just what's going on with me. Uh, one more time, if anybody has any good news. Okay. Oh, I know you got good news, Jeff. I'm up to, you believe this, 30. Oh, man. All of a sudden, you just started getting a whole bunch of calls on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And and those, you've gotten 30 calls in, in what? A very short Week period of time. Week and a half, two weeks. Week and a half. Just out of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, they, I finally managed to get up early enough this morning to have Make my to answer one of the calls and make my announcement. Stop calling this phone. Uh huh. They have a propensity to call in the early hours before I get up. Now, you know, they're they're in the legal zone, but it's before I tend to get up because of the late hours. I keep being up late at night. Yeah, you're a night owl, so you sleep yeah. in more in the morning. Right. Yeah. And they, well, I'm they, a night they, owl, and I get up early too. <laughs> <laughs> well. 
I don't find that I'm requiring more sleep these days. Well, but, I know. I try and get close to eight myself. but so, uh, Five hours doesn't cut it anymore. <laughs> no, well, I'm, you know, I went years on three hours, and believe me, that... that I haven't done that for quite a while, but well, yeah. Well, but that's that is good news. I mean, good yeah. grief! Thirty calls just out of the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. though. All of a sudden, the thing just goes boomity boomity boom. So I, you know, right. and I'm I'm so guessing I'm, you're I'm, debt collectors. Uh, no, it's a debt collector. Oh, just one. Just, just a debt one. Oh wow! Well, I've got well, I've got three or four from another. Oh okay. But, but you know that's majority not part of, from that's the not one. part of the thirty. Just oh, okay. one. Oh, 30 of them is just from one. So you just actually got one. more than 30. Oh, three, three, three calls a day in the early morning hours. Yeah. Three okay. a day? Three a that's day. A, that's annoying. That's almost harassing. Yeah. Well, that's almost like Midland. Well, they mean? were doing Wait, four what a day. What do you mean almost? You mean if I weren't <laughs> asleep, it'd be harassing? <laughs> <laughs> no, if you were on the toilet, it'd be harassing. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. about the toilet stuff. But who's to say Houston, Houston Chronicle picked that one up. <laughs> who's to say he wasn't? What'd you say, Terry? I said, but who's to say he wasn't? He just doesn't want to talk about his personal habit. Oh yeah. So yeah. Well, I uh, um, I got back at Jeff today. Oh, I had a conversation with him this afternoon. Yeah. I opened the door. And he marched 76 trombones with 110 cornets right behind. Yep. Right on through that door. Yep. <laughs> he got a payback for having that camera in my bathroom. About <laughs> time. Uh, yeah. You know, this afternoon, Haley came and said to me, Abby has a new bathing suit and she can't put it on right because it crissy crosses. So I went in to help her. And she hands me the bathing suit top, and it's dripping wet. They haven't been in the pool yet. And I said, well, sweetie, why is it dripping wet? I'm standing there holding it, trying to put it on her head. She said, I dropped it in the toilet. (laughs) That's what you want to put in your pool. (laughs) I hope it was after she flushed it. (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, you get out of the tried to put it over your head. Oh, <laughs> uh, leave it to kids. Oh my god. Oh, well, see we do have some humor on this call everybody. <laughs> uh, you never know. Kids, kids, kids. All right. So Jeff, Jeff, were you on the call long enough with them for them to tell you that they've got a wheelbarrow full of money for you? Yeah, I just told him to quit calling and hung up. Uh, and quickly went over to my log and and uh, logged uh, all three calls that were made this morning, including the last one I spoke on. Uh, you know, it, it, the FCC made that ruling, and it, it, it was released July 10th. And it just doesn't seem to sink in with a bunch of these companies. But then again, their their business model, um, if they uh if they operate within the law, they couldn't make any money and they'd they'd have to close shop. Mm. So the only way they can operate is by continuing to violate and then when people sue them, oh, we manually dial the calls. 
Or, or there's one other way. Did you notice what Midland just did or Encore? They bought some big company in yeah. Australia. And so just like the tobacco industry, when they finally had to warn people that cigarettes will kill you in the United States, they started flooding the Asia markets and other markets with cigarettes. Yeah, yeah they, they expanded. bought a 50.25% interest in one of the uh, big debt collection companies in Australia and they operate there and in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, controlling interest. But you see in that article where uh, Midland or uh, Encore collected $1.6 billion last year. Stole. Stole, exactly. exactly. They, they extorted $1.6 billion last year. Right, mm-hmm. $1.6 billion, everybody. One company that the government said that most of the time they really didn't have all the paperwork they needed to collect. Right. So they're just blowing smoke up people's asses and sucking judges off to get the money. That's not your usual way of expressing yourself, John. Well, it's what they do. I understand. Well, is that, you know, could it? Could it be that there's another one of the group that has a bit of a dispute going with Midland? I can't imagine. (laughs) It's not just Terry and myself that there's somebody else that has a problem with them, too? Who? I think we have you. Yeah. Well, no. You see, I already sued them and and, and settled with them. But then they they stuck their whack-a-mole head up again, and I'm in the process of whacking them. Their attorney their attorney responded to me. It took them quite a few weeks, and he's like, "Well, we don't agree with you, but uh, how much do you want?" <laughs> 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 so maybe if you Google me now, it comes up that I won an appeal. That sounds pricey. <laughs> but yeah, so everybody, three out of the four moderators that are on this call have got issue presently have issues with Midland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that tell you about Midland? They get around, don't they? they well, yes, they do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we want to, uh, one more time, see if anybody has got any good news. Thank you for yours, Jeff. That's, that's uh, interesting that you're all of a sudden getting a bunch of calls. Anybody else that's got good news, speak up. Otherwise, we're going to go to the queue and see if we can answer some questions if people have them. Okay, we don't have anybody jumping up there, so if people have got questions, go ahead and hit star eight. Please put uh, yourself in the uh, muted mode first by hitting star six. And uh, if you hit star eight, that will uh, get you into the queue. We'll take your questions and go from there. And we're going to go, wow, this is a pretty good place we get to go to first. It's north central Texas. Hello, Hello, Dave. Texas. Hello. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Hey, um, Dale, I mean, um, Dave, I don't know whether um, you and Terry remember um, I had the case and I had that deposition here. In the, uh-huh. uh, okay, so I wanted to see if this was a normal process here. The, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the court reporter just sent me a copy of the deposition. Okay. And you know, and and gave that me for a, your review. Yes. Is that normal? Yeah. Yes. You requested it, didn't you? I uh, know. They. I mean, but the, when I was going, 
I was getting ready to request it the next day. They, it, I got it. I received it in the mail. Oh, good. Really? Mm-hmm. How nice. But it, it, they are the ones that would send it to you, not the other side. Okay, okay. Because the other side, you know, they didn't mention anything about it prior to the deposition. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Okay. Okay, so we good. To, so I'm good to go just make corrections and send it back in. Yes. Yeah, do your errata sheet. Remember, you can't change any testimony, but if the court reporter wrote something down wrong, well, there were a few of those in mine, you can correct that. And if there are responses that you made, uh, like, I really don't know, off the top of my head, I'd have to check, you could clarify that type of answer. But you can't change your answers. Okay. 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 But let me just let me throw this out here, you know, because like some things I answered, and then he would tell the court reporter to put uh, non-responsive. Oh, I remember now. Okay, then on those, if you responded, and she told the court reporter to put in a wrong answer, you do need to reflect that on the errata sheet. Bring that to the court's attention. Yeah, now let me ask a quick question on that. When that occurred, um, were you providing an answer to the question? or? Yes, yes, yes. He didn't want, what what I was saying, he didn't want it to go on record. Oh, okay. He he just uh, didn't like what it was, so he he wanted to be able to... uh, not included, so to speak. Right. Remember, she gave an answer yep. he didn't like, and he right. would say right. to the court reporter, just just enter non-responsive, because but he the didn't answer. The court reporter is supposed to enter everything that was said. There's exactly. nothing on the record. Yeah. And if that court reporter did that on a, a number of times on there, I'd think about making a complaint against the court reporter in their firm. Yeah. You need to look at it and see you know, what the reporter did. Yeah, because that's 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 almost collusion with the other side. Exactly. And, and it's just, a, are you being sued or are you suing? I'm suing. Yeah, you're suing. It's not as bad as if you were being sued and they had a court reporter that was doing that. But still, I mean, you could say that the other, you know, the court reporter was colluding with the attorneys. And that's a, vi- that's a violation. And if you could go after the attorney, too, they know better than that. That's a violation of the uh, code of conduct. Yes, it is. So you, you and they you, also they also yeah. video it. So would I be able to request a copy of the video? Absolutely. You need to request a copy of the video immediately to see if they have edited those portions out or not. And if they have, if they have, they've got a they've got a real problem. You you've got. You know, they're fabricating evidence then. Fabricating evidence is something that is not acceptable. Okay. 
you, you need, seriously, if there are any, if it looks like there's any glitches or anything, any hiccups, any stalls in the tape, because th there should be on the video a thing that shows the, the time count, the time stamp on it as time's going. And if they've altered anything, they'd have to relay that time strip on there. It would be, you could get a video expert to show where those cuts are in the tape. It would be very hard for them to do it where where it didn't show where the cuts were. But if they've done that, they've fabricated evidence. And they don't expect you to go that far as a pro se. They expect to get away with it. Right. And, and you know, th pick up the phone tomorrow. Call that. Call the deposition firm. Tell them that. Tell them that you want to speak to the manager of the firm. Tell the manager what happened and what you're seeing in there. Tell them that you want a copy of the tape. If they tell you you have to buy it, tell them you're not buying it. You'll come down there and look at it. You need to compare. And if he doesn't want to cooperate, you're going to get the police involved. This is in federal court, right? No, it's in state court. Yeah. Well, tell them you want to get the police. You're going to get the police involved. Why are you suing in state court? Because um, it's over a foreclosure, it's, right? Oh, okay. Seven, mm -hmm. okay. And okay. we're a non-judicial state. Got it. Okay, understand. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to be a hard ass on this stuff. I'm sorry, you just do. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, I, now the, the company who did the deposition is different from the company who did the video. Well, then you need to call the video company and tell them. And that's a good thing then if they're two different companies because, you know, you can just explain to the manager of the video firm that, hey, look, here's the problem. And, um, you know, I'm thinking on going after the other other people and I want to come down and look at the video and compare it to the transcript with you. And, um, you know, if he doesn't want to cooperate, tell him you're going to go to the police and they'll be visiting them too. You find that cooperate real quick. Yeah, that's good. It's two different companies. Right. Because I bet you, you know, where they can, they can do things like type in non-responsive on a written deposition, and there's an errata sheet. But if they know that that video is not going to match that written deposition, they got a big problem. Right. And if they tell you the video is not prepared yet, because typically what happens is you get a... Um, they've got the raw video and before they cut it over into the format that they use for court presentation, um, you know, they have to pay extra to do that for the, for the, for, for setting it up that way. You want to look at the raw tapes and just again, press them that, you know, if they don't want to do that, you're going to get the police involved because they're fabricating evidence and, you know, does their firm want to be involved with that? And then, you know, the, the final threat is that, you know, you go to the, go to the news media too. There's got to be someone in your town that does one of those consumer shows, the consumer local consumer watchdog or whatever, you know, that looks out for consumer interests. And it'd be really great when you're suing a big bank over your mortgage foreclosure and that their attorney is arranging to fabricate evidence in the case. Okay. Okay. They'd eat that, they'd eat that up like, Okay. Like okay. Okay. So, because let me just give you like an example. When he put a document in front of me and he wanted to make that in the in, an exhibit, okay, and I told him that I could not uh, attest that with my signature. I say because the document, because he he brought up a prior lawsuit that I had. Okay, so I could attest that with my signature, 
because of that particular one that was filed by me. But this other document, it was not filed by me. And so he that's the document that he told the uh one of the court he told the court reporter that's one instance when he told the record reporter uh exclude that non responsive. And um were the documents had they been entered in by the court reporter first? Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? They're supposed to they're supposed supposed to present the document to the court reporter so that it is videoed also. You know, exhibit A, exhibit B, or however right. the number. He, he, right, 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 right. And who put did he, he do that first? I think he did. I think he did. You don't remember? I, I don't recall exactly, but I do know that I told him that I could not, you know, attest to that because it did not have the federal, because this was a federal case before. And I told him, and he, was, and he, and he brought those documents in, and I told him because of that, the, the document that he was referring to, I could not, I, I could not attest to that one. I can only attest to the ones that I had filed in federal court with, 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 with the case number on it. Exactly, because anything else is a copy. Exactly, and that's what I was telling him. And I know I know that's when he told her to strike that and put non-responsive. So no, I but that's, put, you, gave a you gave a correct answer, and he shouldn't be able to strike that. Right. He can't pick and choose your – he could pick and choose what – what clips he wants to show in court, and then when you're prosecuting your side of the case, you could you could refer to those because at some point when he buys that video deposition tape, you can get a copy of it too. You'll probably have to purchase it. You know, typically when you're deposed, unless you ask for a copy of the depositions, you don't get it. You have to buy it. But when you request it, which you must have done or they just gave you automatically, and you fill out the errata sheet, then you've got a copy for free. So you know what's coming. But see, coming John, in. that's the thing. I didn't, I mean, I didn't. I know, but they might have just as a matter of course done that or the, the deposition. You know, quite frankly, the deposition firm might not have agreed with what they did and gave you a copy anyways to clarify that. Well, you know, right. if if the uh, court reporter captures every word, then you should be able to look at the transcript and see where he asked you the question referring to the document, then you gave your answer, and then where he spoke and said, uh, you know, uh, the uh, court reporter, uh, you, you want to mark that as non-responsive. Those words should all be there. Yes. They should be there, but if he told her not to put something that I said, she didn't do it. How do you know? Because Have you looked at it? No, because she stopped typing. Well, we'll see what's well, on the transcript. Well, that's yeah, you need to you need to look at the transcript. Okay. Yeah, don't just guess that uh, that person didn't because they quit typing. Look at the transcript. Read you it. Read the whole transcript. Uh -huh. That thing, it'll come back to you like a movie you've watched a hundred times when you read it. Okay. Okay. It, okay. It but will. It's it's spooky when you read transcripts or <laughs> transcripts. Okay. <clears throat> Okay, but in the meanwhile, I need to go ahead and call that video company and get a, and a, and get a raw copy of that. Yeah, you're probably going to have to go down there to see it. They're probably not going to hand you a copy. Okay. I think I would go through 
the deposition first and see so what's there. And you, you, okay. you know, what nice. problems you may have to find out whether you really do need to do the video. I mean, if all Go of that through. stuff is in there, then... Go through the deposition and make notes of, you know, where... Uh, the entries were made where you actually did make a response and she told the court reporter not to put it in there. Make notes of where that is so that you know where it's coming up in the video. Yeah. And you're going to bring that transcript with you down there when you look at the video. Okay. Yeah. But I get, I get on that right away because that's something that, that if they've gone ahead and done that and you can show it, and you can show the video. You can you can go to the court for some type of relief too, because they're not playing fair in the sandbox. Okay. 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 Thank you. All right, <laughs> lawyers. <laughs> the perfect time to put in the uh, motion to take judicial notice of uh, obstructionist discovery. That is exactly the kind of stuff that the judge hammered them on in that case in Ohio during a deposition. It, it's, it's more than obstructionist discovery. That's fabricating evidence. To alter evidence is, is not. That's, that's, that's punishable. Right. Yeah. And you know, the judge really came down on them hard, and it was over, for the most part, their behavior during a deposition, the lawyer's. All right. Does anybody else have any questions for us tonight? Okay. Okay. Dave. Yeah. Okay. Like right here, he says she has Mr. Weiser object to everything as non-responsive after correct. I I, I don't understand what you're saying. Okay. I did. I'm, like okay. Like they ask a question. And was that your request for relief in the first Capital One lawsuit? Correct. Okay. Then question. And you maintained that request for relief on the all the way until the appeal was finally decided. Correct. Well, then I say no. And Mr. Weiser, he said object to everything as non-responsive after correct. Wow, you gave him one answer he wanted, and he tried to get rid of all your other answers. Yes, that's what, he, and he did. Well, no, that's in the transcript. He didn't get rid of it. It's in there, isn't it? Well, the question it either is or it isn't. The answer is correct. No, I'm uh, what I'm getting at. What I'm asking you is, was everything that was said on that transcript when you were at that deposition well, was no, every because, well well okay. just a second was everything mm -hmm. that you said on what you're reading there or is there stuff missing it's, that you know you said and it's not there well stuff is missing because his question was and you maintain that request for relief on all all the way until the appeal was finally decided correct answer Correct. Well, no. And then, and then when I started explaining, then that's when he told her, and he says, object to everything as non-responsive after correct. So he did exactly what I said. Okay. And then, it, what, 
is what you said on there? No, because it, when I okay, said that's red, what that's what I'm trying to clarify. So then, whatever you said, it's not there. No. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then that's a, that's bogus crap. Yeah. Yep. 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 He's just uh, saying non-responsive to get rid of something he doesn't like. Yeah, he said. Oh, I'm gonna, he objects to everything. Going to get away with it. Yeah. He says, object to everything as non-responsive after correct. See, I said correct, and then I said, well, no, and I gave my explanation, and they didn't put it in. Oh, boy. They're in trouble. Yep. Yep. Especially since if that is the case, the rest of that answer is going to be on that video. Exactly. It should be on. unless. Hey. Should be on the raw video. I don't know about the edited one. Exactly. Yeah. And for all right. I know, for all I know, at this point, they could have gotten together, the court reporter and the. It is highly doubtful because that is a violation yeah. of the law. Yeah, they, could, they they would they would be jeopardizing really, their license to be court reporters yeah. and everything. And that becomes conspiracy. Yeah. Yes, it does, and I can't see two firms bowing to an attorney to that level. I really can't. Mm-hmm. No, I'll tell you, I'll give you one little hint why you should believe that. I, I deposed an attorney and I did a video deposition. And the video deposition company, the when I set it up, the owner of the company called me up. He says, I'm surprised you're doing this. You're pro se, blah, blah, blah. He goes, this is one of our biggest customers. <laughs> And then after the whole thing was over and I settled with the guy at this thing, the owner of the video company talked to the attorney. He goes, he goes, well, I wanted to talk to you about collecting since you have a collection firm. And he goes, he goes, yeah, well, who, who's not paying you? He goes, well, there are these law firms. And the lawyer says, yeah, lawyers are the worst about paying. So remember that, that the video company that you're going to go to might be getting stiffed by lawyers not paying them. So they might be willing to cooperate with you just to get back. Okay. Just the little side conversations are always interesting that go on. But um, get on it with that video company. Okay, I will. Wow. Tomorrow. Okay. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, you're very welcome. Nothing surprises me anymore. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just a little update, the Nikkei. Uh, average in Japan is now down 564 points. Not doing well on the uh, markets. And the U.S. futures are off the bottoms. But Okay, we're going to go back and see if we got anybody in the queue. I'll tell you what, we've got kind of a dearth of uh, questions. You know, if people have got questions, that's why we're here, you guys. Especially new people, if... Uh, if you've got a question, you know, that you're not sure about the answer to, uh, please ask it. Don't think, oh, well, I don't want to sound stupid. Because uh, the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. The whole idea is for us to be able to uh, help you and uh, uh, give you some information, answer questions, and hopefully point you in the right direction, whatever it is that uh, that you're dealing with. Um I want to, uh, as long as we got just a, a little bit of time here, uh, I, did, I found something uh, over the weekend 
that is TCPA related. Actually, uh, this was a uh, template I found that, uh, from a law firm in Pennsylvania for a uh, motion for summary judgment. And of course, I'm always looking at these kind of things to see what kind of case law and, and dicta uh, dicta in the decisions from the court, but case law that is either given by the court or you know used in argument by uh, uh, people that are seeking summary judgment. And uh, this was somebody that sued over a, a bunch of phone calls, 76 phone calls and stuff. And I'm, uh, it was a, a good format and stuff. But there's a, a couple of things on here. One that I just wanted to uh, uh, read everybody because this, uh, this just really almost kind of took my breath away when I got it. Uh, and if you've got a situation where you have a real egregious situation, uh, where uh, you've gotten a bunch of calls or you know, stuff like that, and, and this happens to be the, the situation with uh, my friend Leon. Uh, I'm, I'm working with him, helping him with a uh, motion for summary judgment in his case. His is a telemarketing case, but uh, there's a footnote here, and it says, uh, the TCPA is designed to protect the privacy interests of consumers by prohibiting vexatious and intrusive robo-dialed commercial telephone calls from interrupting the privacy of consumers in their own homes. The privacy interests protected by the TCPA have been summarized as follows. The shrill and imperious ring of the telephone demands immediate attention, unlike the unsolicited bulk mail advertisement found in the mail collected at a resident's leisure. The ring of the telephone mandates a prompt response, interrupting a meal, a restful soak in the tub, in the bathtub, even intruding on the intimacy of the bedroom. This is a quote out of State of Minnesota versus Casino Marketing Group that was appealed and the U.S. Supreme Court did not grant certiorari to hear it. So it stands. But the, that, the words, the shrill and imperious ring of the telephone demands immediate attention. Can, can you just imagine that? I mean, what do you do when the phone rings? It gets your attention, doesn't it? Unlike the unsolicited bulk mail advertisement found in the mail collected at a resident's leisure, the ring of the telephone mandates a prompt response, interrupting a meal. A restful soak in the bathtub, even intruding on the intimacy of the bedroom. Now, boy, can I imagine the thoughts that are going to go through that judge's mind when she reads that in his summary judgment, because you can bet it's going to be in there. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful language. It, it really, truly is. And it comes from a case that went to, uh, 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 was actually, uh, they tried to get it into the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. But uh, there's uh, some other stuff here, another footnote in here, and I'm not going to read all the uh, citations, but I'll read you some of the uh, careful words. Courts construing the TCPA, and this is, this is going to, uh, you know, willful and knowing. And, of course, you know, we, uh, we always want to be able to show where the calls were willful uh, to possibly get the enhanced damages up to troubling. Courts construing the TCPA have applied this definition of willful 
found later within Chapter 5, Title 47 of the Federal Communications Acts, relating to wire and radio communications, since the definition indicates that it applies to any provision of this chapter or any rule or regulation of the commission authorized by this chapter. And a nurse, uh, uh, Sangenberger versus Credit Control Services. And that came out of the Northern District of Illinois, and then they awarding treble damages for willful violations. See also Pricom asphalt ceiling, so on and so forth. That's Ohio Appellate Court. Because remember, TCPA claims can be brought in state court as well. And then there's one in here from Georgia Superior Court, Fulton County, from 2010. Similarly, the FCC has found that a willful violation of the TCPA is one where the violator knew that he was doing the act in question and that the violator need not know that his action or inaction constitutes a violation. Ignorance of the law is not a defense. And this comes from the FCC uh, in regard to Dynasty Mortgage, LLC. 2007. So there's some really nice uh, information in this I stumbled on. Here's a couple good examples of what can happen when you go out searching certain language. And uh, I was uh, I was searching under uh, uh, strict liability statute, willful stuff like that, just to see what I can find. And I stumbled on this and of course this is way down at the end i ended up having to read the whole thing but i glanced through it and when i got down to the end of it it was like oh my goodness but that's how we find this stuff is we spend time we spend that time was, what's that that was just a google search yeah wow yeah, it, it's it, but see, you just never know where you're going to come up with these things, and and you guys hear us talk about, uh, you know, going and spending time, go on Pacer, uh, use Google. I mean, I I did a couple of uh, webinars that are in the website and on, on using Google, you know, searching with different words and stuff like that. Here's a good example of something I just found uh, several days ago. And uh, that just jumped off the page at me, and it's like, wow, it's perfect, because the situation we're dealing with is where he had uh, a whole bunch of calls in a very short period of time. He had eight calls in ten minutes. Have, have you noticed, um, like, I use all three browsers on my computer, and I for regular stuff, I use one, and for other stuff, I use the other. And for all my legal stuff, I use Google. And the more you use it on a specific topic, the more pointed it gets in the searches. Mm, yeah, I, I think I've noticed that. I, you know, it wasn't something that I, I really paid a lot of attention to, but I, I think I have noticed that. Mm -hmm. I use, you know, uh, I use pretty much Google. And, you know, I, I occasionally I look in Google Scholar. But for the most part, all the stuff that I find is just searching on Google. But it's playing with uh, a string of words. Like um, if you'll, uh, you find a, a string of words in a case that, you know, where there's a good citation, take that string of words, put, put quotation marks around it, and uh, 
search for it in Google. And you'd be surprised what you can come up with on some of these things. It'll come up with uh, various things, and you can just find some absolutely wonderful cases to back up your arguments and uh, this kind of stuff. I mean, I know this is going to catch that judge's attention. There's absolutely no question about it. You know, in in Google Scholar, I do the same sort of thing, but I use the little squiggle and then like 1692 and then the word string of words. And uh-huh. you can, you can very, you can really drill down and find stuff in rulings and then, then from there go back on the case and find good stuff too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's being creative, isn't it, John? Yes, it's, it is. You know, and, and I'm, and Terry does an awful lot of searching on Google. And, uh, you know, she plays with the words and stuff all the time. And, and you know, that's that's where she's come up with so much of this information and all these various cases. He came up with some real winners lately, huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, you, you do the same thing. You know, you play around with the words. You know, you use one uh, uh, group of words or, you know, and sometimes depending on what it is you're searching for, you can change, rearrange the words, have the same uh, words, but just arrange the order of the words and stuff like that. And so, you know, um, do your search and then say, hmm, what other words mean the same thing as this or that? And try Googling it that way. Or if you're not that great with language, use a thesaurus. Like uh, the word conspiracy, for instance. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and something else that uh, I was uh, doing this week. Um, so as we got a little bit of time here. Uh, we've got a situation with uh, this case that we're doing the summary judgment on where there is an affirmative defense. And it's, uh, I'm going to go to the document here because I want to read it. It's in C5. And telemarketing. Okay. Uh, here again, this is a TCPA action. You need to warn yeah. people that they need to be sitting down when you read this to them. What's that? Because if they don't, they may fall down laughing. No. Well, well there's, there's some interesting things in here. but uh, Oh, and, and one thing I, I want to bring up here real quick, because this is something that came up, and uh, maybe some of you have not... Uh, paid attention to this. You know, we uh, we talk about TCPA all the time under Section B, and the uh, uh, private right of action under B is $500 with the possibility of being uh, trebled, up to $1,500 per call. And when you look at C5, which is the stuff that comes in under the, the uh, do not call list, telemarketing, there is a very slight difference that is, it, well, let's put it this way. It's a big difference, but it comes as a result of two words, okay? And I'm going to read the one, an action to recover for actual monetary loss 
from such a violation or to receive $500 in damages for each such violation, whichever is greater. Okay, that's B. Now under Section C, it says, an action to recover for actual monetary loss from such a violation or to receive up to $500 in damages for each such violation. Under B, it is 500. That's the one that most of us bring our claims under. Okay? It's $500. It's not up to $500. It is $500. But under the telemarketing where you're dealing under the Do Not Call Act, C5, the, the damages are up to 500 or maybe trebled. So please keep that in mind when you are working with us because it's real easy to overlook those two words. Now, also under this in C5, the private right of action, it says something, and of course this is not in the section B. It shall be an affirmative defense. And of course, for all of you that don't know what an affirmative defense is, is when you make a claim against somebody, they got to, they make an affirmative defense. Oh, well, you know, we're not liable because of this and this and this and this. It shall be an affirmative defense in any action brought under this paragraph that the defendant has established and implemented with due care reasonable practices and procedures to effectively prevent telephone solicitations in violation of the regulations prescribed under this subsection. Now, it's an affirmative defense if they can show that they established and implemented with due care, you know, procedures to effectively prevent things that, you know, maybe, oh, well, they had one call where, you know, something, there was a minor problem that came through, okay? Well, in Leon's case, he told him, they called him a total of 10 times. On the third call, he told the live agent, you got the wrong number. Two minutes later, the phone rang again. He talked to a different live agent. You got the wrong number. And they kept up with their telephone solicitation on both of them. He hung up on them. But then... He got five back-to-back calls, one minute apart. And he answered all five of them. And there was nobody on the line. Hello? 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 Nobody there. The phone rings again. Five, five calls, five minutes. And he had three witnesses standing there. Do you think maybe he's got affidavits as to exactly what happened and all that stuff from these people? But now, you tell me. Did they have an established and implemented with due care reasonable practices and procedures to effectively prevent telephone solicitations in violation of the regulations? Not when they I keep calling like that, nope. Right. Now, now how you know what's a way that you you use that? How how can you do that? And there's a word, you know, and, and here again, this is this is new. I haven't done this because I haven't worked in telemarketing stuff. So this is a, an interesting challenge for me because we're bringing state law claims into this and everything as well. But I thought, hmm, how can we do this? Ah, uh, well, 
Let me read you the definition of inference from Black's Law Dictionary. In the law of evidence, a truth or proposition drawn from another which is supposed or admitted to be true, a process of reasoning by which a fact or proposition sought to be established, which isn't that what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to establish that they didn't have a procedure in place, is deduced as a logical consequence from other facts. Who's making all the noise? Who's got the telephone and all that stuff playing in the background? Thank you for muting. Okay. Is deduced as a logical consequence from other facts or a state of facts already proved or admitted. A logical and reasonable conclusion of a fact not presented by direct evidence but which, by process of logic and reason, a trier of fact may conclude exists from the established facts. Inferences are deductions or conclusions which, with reason and common sense, lead the jury to draw from facts which have already been established by the evidence in the case. Well, what facts have already been established when you have the call records provided by the company showing the times of those calls. You have an affidavit by the recipient of the calls that they happened that quick after he twice told live individuals not to call. Do you think the court can make an inference from those facts that there was no process or procedure in place and that's a violation of C-5? and it shoots their uh, affirmative defense right in the butt. Yep. That's how we're going to overcome that affirmative defense, everybody. This is the kind of way that you do this stuff. Dave? Yeah? They may have a written um, policy or procedure in place, but if they're not adhering to it or if the... Uh, the telemarketing person was intent, knew of it and wasn't following it, then it becomes willful. Well, we don't have any problem with the willful on this. I understand what you're saying, John. The biggest thing that I'm looking at here is overcoming this affirmative defense. And any reasonable person can look at this and say, wow, at 6.05... He told a live person, uh, you got the wrong number. At 6.07, he told a different live person at the same place from the same phone number, you got the wrong number. And then he got calls at 6.08, 9, 10, 11, 12 with nobody on the line. Yep. And then he got a call the following day in the morning. Mm-hmm. Again. So... It's obvious that they don't have a plan in place. And how do you get that? Get the court to pay attention to that? You point to that and, and tell the court that they can and should make the inference based on the established facts of when the calls occurred and what was said. Right. And the fact that they did, you know, the additional calls did occur that they don't they don't have that 
process or procedure in place. It's it's very evident on its face, we're, and we're that will a, destroy their uh, yeah, affirmative they, defense. They may have a written procedure in place, but it is clearly not being implemented. Well, right. the other the other thing that's going to go along with this to bring their attention is there's tons of stuff out on 800 notes, complaints from people on public posting boards from this company, both before and, and see his, his situation happened in March of 2013. We've got a whole string of complaints, similar type stuff before that, after that, and then they quit using that number, and we found calls on other numbers that are very recent, even including this month, where people are complaining about the same kind of stuff. See, that evidence, will is we're going to include that as an exhibit, but that's circumstantial. The court can't really look at that. Hearsay. It's hearsay, right. But when you put that out there, the court looks at it and goes, well, you know, this is hearsay. You know, we can't use this. And then they go over here, and you you make the argument, and you point the inference going to these facts that it destroys that uh, thing. I think there's an excellent chance that that court is going to make that inference and say, well, yeah, yeah. They don't have a process in place, or he wouldn't have gotten all these calls after he told two different people that they have the wrong number. Now, doesn't the FCC have a database where people can complain about numbers? Well, they they do, and uh, he is researching that because part of the stuff uh, in here also is under the Kansas statutes. There is a affirmative defense, basically, for error. Mm-hmm. And but under the Kansas statute. If they, if there is a complaint, and in response to that complaint they claim error, they can only use that defense once every twelve months. Wow! So what are we doing? We're we're doing research to the state attorney general's office for complaints, and he's going to the FCC. Do not call and stuff like that to see if we can find stuff that will discredit that. But this is the kind of digging you got to do, everybody, to try and shut off these you know, ways that they can try and defend against this stuff. Well, let, let me ask you something else. Where are you on the timeline of the case? Uh, this is one that was stayed, and there, just recently there was a scheduling order, and uh, Friday they just filed the uh, joint protective order, but he doesn't even need to do... Uh, uh, discovery. In fact, the judge asked the, <laughs> at the hearing several weeks ago. The judge asked the attorney on the other side, "What is there to do discovery on?" He he received your phone calls. Wow, that's what the Did, judge said. Have they done twenty six A ones yet? Wow. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That did did they disclose having a policy? On no, they that? don't have they don't have insurance. No, 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 not a policy, not insurance. Oh, policy. no, not not on that. No. It, well, then, but, at the end of the whole thing, they can't use that at trial if they don't disclose it. Well, remember the that. whole thing remember. is, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not going to trial. No, because but you can basically, use that what's as part of your inference? Yeah, yeah they yeah. did. They failed to disclose it on their twenty six A one, which it, which you can turn around and say means they don't have it. They say they have this. 
they say that they have this out. They're using an affirmative defense, yet they don't. They didn't disclose that they had the policies in place. Therefore, they don't have them. But what's basically where we are in a timeline? We uh, uh, looked at it. We had to re-amend the complaint because when he put the state statutes in. Mm-hmm. He did not plead that he's a consumer under Kansas law. Oh, God. So uh, we did the amended complaint because uh, Wednesday is the deadline for uh, uh, amending. Uh-huh. So that motion went in last week. That was in, in plenty of time because uh, we, we put all the state law claims in it. But uh, we, he did not plead that he was a consumer. And see, that's the difference. The original complaint was just federal uh, TCPA. It didn't have the state law claims. And see, this stuff's all been on hold for over a year because of the FCC petitions. You know, he had a there was stayed. So now that that's lifted and it's moving forward, we uh, did the amended complaint with the the state statutes in it because that's where the big money is in Kansas at ten thousand bucks a call. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, we also found some really good uh, information. Uh, that goes along with that. But uh, anyway, it's, it's, I just want to give you guys some ideas here on how to go about doing some of this stuff and, and closing some of these back doors. And the whole idea is in doing a summary judgment is to basically not give them anything, you know, knowing what they're going to argue and closing those doors beforehand instead of letting them do an opposition and then you're on the defensive to try and cover that. It's put it out there first, shut it off, and uh, then have them look nonsensical when they try and come up with some BS saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, we got this or that. Oh, really? Yeah, well, look at the facts. Because the facts are indisputable about when these calls occurred uh, because the, the call times that uh, uh, the plaintiff has jive exactly with the call records that the company voluntarily sent to him even before he filed the lawsuit. I mean, it, it, and, and these are the guys that put the declaration in that, that stated categorically, we made the calls and we made them with a predictive dialer. Let, let me ask you one other question. Um, as far as the summary judgment, is it going to be summary judgment or partial summary judgment? Summary judgment on all really on all counts, yes. Now, when I was reading through one of the NCLC books and they were talking about summary judgment, and this was with FDCPA, they were saying to put in a partial summary judgment and leave the uh, the rendering of the damages for the jury. Well, that's well. Cool. No, it, see, th- that's just it. That's just it here. That stuff is uh, done by the court in TCPA. Remember, remember, keep in mind, on TCPA, a jury can determine whether uh, a, the calls received by somebody were willful or not. But the jury does not get to set the damages. Those are always set by the judge. We don't even we don't even need to go. This thing is so airtight; it doesn't need to go to a, a jury. This can go to the judge, and the judge ha- is the one that has the discretion on the damages under both state law and under the TCPA for trebling. 
And it sounded like his judge is ready to hand it to him. Uh, the the judge, yeah, on? The, yeah, yeah. Well, the the, the judge kind of sees this, and uh, it's it, it's really pretty interesting. That you know, of course, the judge has to uh, uh, main, maintain the, the fairness, but uh, yeah, you could kind of sense that the judge is like, hey, you call the guy. Because she read all the pleadings, read the complaint and everything else. She sees what happened there, and uh, they just don't have any defense. And the defense they're using, they're saying that he can't, uh, he has no claim under the state statute. Oh, I hope, Jeff, and this is going with what you said, is everybody sitting down because you'll get a good laugh out of this one. They're saying that there's no claim that can be made under the state statute because they weren't trying to call him. They weren't trying to call him to sell goods. They were trying to call someone else, so <laughs> that doesn't count. Oh, boy. Ten times. they and, and on the third call, he told them he got the wrong number, but they still they still kept trying to solicit him. The, the, when he says, you got the wrong number, they still keep going on with the pitch. Hmm. I mean, and, and of course, all this stuff's going to be very carefully explained, you know, all all taken care of. And But see, this is how you drill down to the facts. And that's why this is going to go to the, the judge for uh, summary judgment. There isn't any reason to have a jury look at this, because the judge is going to be the one that makes the decision on damages anyway. And I think there's a good chance that he's going to get the treble damages, and he's going to get get the the state stuff and we found some stuff were under the Kansas statutes when the uh, Kansas Consumer Protection Act was first put into place the uh, penalty was two thousand dollars then in 91 it was raised to five thousand and in 2001 it was raised to ten thousand and in fact just uh, all uh, if I can find it here, I'll, uh, yeah, here's the pertinent stuff. This gives you an idea. This is what the judge will get to, to listen to. Over the past 41 years, the legislature has repeatedly and consistently found it necessary to broaden the reach of the KCPA and to enhance the protection it affords to Kansas consumers, such as Mr. So-and-so. Miss, uh, for example, when the KCPA was first enacted, a district court could award a consumer up to $2,000 as a civil penalty where a violation was established. To deter misconduct, the legislature strengthened the act by increasing the maximum penalty to $5,000 in 1991 and to 10000 in 2001. The legislature has also amended the act on several occasions to make it possible for consumers to enforce it, regardless that they have not suffered a distinct monetary loss. For example, in 1974, Kansas statute annotated so on was amended to confirm that a consumer aggrieved by a violation of the act may sue to enforce it, whether or not he or she has suffered a monetary loss. The claims brought in the instant lawsuit are based in part on the Kansas No-Call Act, which is similar in many respects to the TCPA. KSA, so on and so forth, comprise the relevant parts of the KCPA where violations are alleged by Mr. Lee. Well, you know, you, you get into this, this kind of stuff, 
and you find those kind of things, that makes all the difference in the world in con- you know showing the court what has happened. And I dug around, and I found that. And a lawyer had written that for another purpose. And as we always say, plagiarism is encouraged. Mm-hmm. So that gives some history of what's happened there. Now, I want to go back to the board here. It looks like we've got a couple wait, people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did what? you hear my phone ring a minute ago, 15 minutes ago? No. Okay. Well, I got. Oh well, good I, I heard a phone ring. Was that was that, that yours was making me. that noise? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I reach out and slap you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but that, that was, was a cha- that was a ching, wasn't it? Uh, that was a Wells Fargo calling me, <laughs> looking looking for Natalie, <laughs> and uh, and I said to him, uh, I don't give that information unless I know who I'm talking to. And she said, Well, I told you my name was Ellie. And I said, I don't know who you are. Or who you're calling from. And she finally revealed that she was calling from um, Wells Fargo. And I said, when she told me she was calling from Wells Fargo, I said, not here. Goodbye. Yeah. What time was it here 15 minutes ago? Uh, well, it was, it's, I've got 9.20, so <laughs> uh, you've got 10.20. It's about 10.05. Is that outside? Ago. Yes, yep. it is. Yeah. Were you on the toilet? <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost felt that way when I realized I was unmuted. Yeah. Yep. That's all right. My I'll get you. I'll get you again, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've got a call. That. We've got a couple people in the queue here. RV Marlowe, uh, you are unmuted. Go ahead. Hello, RV Marlowe. We're not hearing you. Maybe your handset is muted. Is that better? Yeah, it's better. Hi. Hi there. um, Your story with Midland, and I had a question. Am I correct in understanding you're filing four individual phone call cases a week in the local court? Or are Uh, you filing? No, I'm filing those in small claims court. And then I, I, yeah. Well, I, I've actually filed a bunch of them, and I'm serving them with four of them every week. Right, but then they're moving them to federal court. Is that what I understand? That's correct. They are moving each individual case, paying a four hundred dollar federal filing fee. And then uh, doing all the paperwork and a motion to stay, and then the uh, moving it to the MDL in California. They're spending probably somewhere between twelve and fifteen hundred dollars per phone call. Is this happening all over the country? No, no. I have a special situation. I'm the only one that's done something to this degree like this. Um, I have a hundred and th- they called me a hundred and thirteen times. Wow. Well, my. And has 80 phone calls from them, and he wants me to look into, you know, how he should proceed. And I said, well, I've been following this gentleman, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, this this is, what, somebody you know or a relative or what? My son-in-law. Your, your son-in-law. Okay. All right. Some things that your son-in-law would need to know. Um. 
I I am a non-debtor. They were evidently calling the wrong person. I uh, that they they it, in some discovery answers I got, they actually admitted that they were trying to call somebody else. Okay, so there was no debt, no transaction or anything involved. So each one of those phone calls was a, a separate, unique, and distinct occurrence. And I went through arguing all this because they tried to stop me in the in the court here in Texas, in federal court. They tried to get an injunction against me to uh, stop me from filing any more cases because they settled the first one. They paid me for the first one. But I went back and argued that each one of these was separate, unique, and distinct, where they were saying, oh, well, you know, there's there's commonality, there's a common nucleus of operative facts because of a transaction and all that. And I pointed out there is no transaction because I'm a non-debtor. Now, if they were trying to uh, collect something from your son-in-law where it, they bought a debt that was his, then there's a common nucleus of operative facts. It's the debt or alleged debt, okay? So he would not be able to do what I'm doing. Now, I don't think, I don't know of anybody else out there that would want to do what I'm doing. <laughs> and I don't think there's very many people that are capable of doing what I'm doing. And it's not to sound cocky. Oh. <laughs> it's just that I've taken on a very large responsibility, and I know that. You know, right. I've taken on an immense responsibility in doing what I'm doing. But the only reason I can do this and, and you know, and be successful in what I'm doing is because I was a non-debtor. So, right. you know, if, if they were trying to collect, like if he had a chase card or something, they bought that and they're trying to collect that, he couldn't do what I'm doing. You know, I don't know if that's the situation. The, but you have to understand, if you file a TCPA action against Midland, it doesn't matter whether it's three phone calls or 300 phone calls. They are going to take and move your cases to the MDL. If you file it in a state court, they will remove it to federal, and then they will remove it to the MDL. And the MDL panel the Joint Panel on Multidistrict Litigation, will not listen to any excuses. I argued with them. I, I pointed out all sorts of things to them. They ignored me. They still moved the cases. So I don't even make those arguments. I, When they do a CTO, which is a conditional transfer order, which I got one of those today, and I had to do an opposition to that, I file the opposition with the Joint Panel in Washington, D.C., but I do that to go on record that I'm opposing it, but I don't go through and write the motion to, uh, you know, stop the CTO. I I did that several times, and they just, you know, they, they just forget it. You know, we're going to move it. So uh, when I had the uh, situation where they tried to stop me in California, I told the court there that I was no longer going to argue those. Well, I don't but I go on record doing the notice of opposition so that nobody can say that I'm agreeing with it through acquiescence. You know, silence is acquiescence. I'm not going to do that. I go on the record saying, no, I don't want it there, but I'm not going to waste my time and the court's time by, you know, having them have to respond to a motion and, and you know, waste the time on it because I know they're not going to listen to it anyway. 
But right. this is this is. I don't think this is something your son-in-law would want to do. I, quite frankly, I don't think he's up for it. An attorney cannot do what I'm doing. What are his the, the, Pardon. What are his options then, with eighty phone calls from Midland? Well, he well he can he you know does he know how to ha- handle this stuff? Does he know how to uh, properly uh, fight a case? He uh, will before he does anything. Okay. Well, He's very astute and very intense and okay. wants to do this. All right. Well, there's two things he can do. He can either study and and keep in mind that he has a four-year statute of limitations. Okay. Right. Uh, there's plenty of time to study, and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, we have gotten information, I have gotten information recently that there's been a tentative settlement w- with the class in that okay. MDL. And I, but yep. how that's going to affect me, I don't know yet. I, I actually called the judge's chambers uh, a couple weeks ago, and they couldn't tell me. But you're, basically, your son-in-law can either study up, learn how to do this, and then when he feels he's ready, go ahead and file a suit in federal court knowing that they're going to move it off to the MDL. Okay? And that's where, and, and he, he'd want to learn about MDL and understand that process and why they do that and what the purpose is, and, and there's a different set of rules for MDL and everything else. Or... He could have an attorney do it on his behalf. Now, of course, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, an attorney that's going to do something like that is going to want, you know, 40%. Ooh, really? Oh, yeah, that's standard. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't understand what the MDL actually would result in because you've been well, doing this yeah. for a long time and they keep going. Uh, yeah, oh. my stuff, I started my stuff about a year and a half ago. Right. And um, right now, uh, I there have been 47 of the lawsuits moved to federal court out of right. 113 calls potential. All right, I've actually filed 61 lawsuits and small claims. 47 have been moved to federal. Two of those were settled, the first two. Uh, the first one, offer of judgment, they paid me. Second one, there was a settlement. And uh, but all the rest of them are active, so I actually have 45 active federal cases against one company right now, and I think I don't think there probably that's ever happened in the court system before. I think but I, they're, they're sitting at the MDL panel, right? Well, some of them some of them are already there, uh, and there's a bunch of them in the process. Like I say, I just got uh, the notice of uh, CTO number 96 today. CTO is conditional transfer order. But what they do, the the panel issues a conditional order, and then they notice me of the filing. Then I can argue it. You know, I do a notice of opposition, which I fax to them today. Then I get a letter back saying, okay, here's a briefing schedule. You know, you've got two weeks. You've got to file your brief and everything. Well, then I don't do that. Then the clerk from the MDL panel calls me. Well, you know, your deadline is today. Were you going to file a brief? And, and it's this dear sweet lady at the MDL in Washington. She's very, very nice. I've talked to her several times. And, uh, I, you know, I tell her, no, no, this is one of those. I'm not going to file a brief. She says, well, you know, then the, the CTO will, uh, you know, your case will be moved. I say, I understand that. But, um, you know, it's just you got to understand this whole process so that you understand what's going on and what you need to do. 
that's right. the thing. If you're going to do it yourself, if an attorney's handling it, then that's their job. Okie doke. Well, I told them I would ask you. So sure. Thank you. Yeah. This is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Oh, bless your heart. Is Portfolio doing that same MDL trick? Uh, they have an MDL. There's uh, the uh, Midland MDL is in the Southern District of California. The uh, Portfolio MDL is up in San Francisco. Okay. Thank you, Dave. So, you're very welcome. All right. Oh, we got some people that pop their heads up here in the queue. Everybody's a little slow doing that tonight. I'm going to go to North Central Texas. Good evening. Who we got this time? It sounded like it sounded like we had part of Keisha, but not all of Keisha. Hold on a second. Okay, how about now? Yeah, stand stand over by the window where the reception's better. How about that? <laughs> That's better. <laughs> Okay. So um, I have a question because I just received um, a letter in the mail regarding my state case that I have with the new owners of um, my property. And <coughs> the new alleged owners? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I thought um, that's what you said. <laughs> I didn't actually say it, but that's what I meant. Um, so it's a notice of filing... Um, a business records affidavit, and to me, it doesn't. Next question. Well, you're you're breaking uh, up. We're losing you. I didn't hear everything you said there. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah, terrible. Okay, hold on. Okay, now. Well, I'm hearing you at this moment. I don't know what it is. How about now? Uh, no, you're kind of flaky. Okay, I might have to, it's still doing the same thing? Uh, at the moment, I'm hearing everything you're saying okay, but it seems to, you know, I hear you for a little bit, and then all of a sudden you get all wigged out. Okay, I'm not moving, so I don't know. Well, maybe quit it's breathing. Just... Maybe that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> it won't ask my question. Um, Quit tipping your okay. head that way. Tip it the other way. <laughs> okay, so I'll try this again. So right. it says, notice the filing of business records affidavit. And then it shows that um, in this affidavit, which I thought was kind of strange to me, but I said, let me run it by you guys. So it says that it's a business records affidavit, and it says before me, this person, a notary public in the state of Nevada, on this day personally appeared, this person, and she's saying that she's employed by the plaintiff as an eviction manager. She's over the age of 18 and everything is our mind right. making this statement. So then it goes on to say as part of her duties in her employment, for the plaintiff, she's responsible for maintaining records of information regarding properties owned by the plaintiff. Now, the only thing they say that they sent was basically the letter as an exhibit A is a notice to vacate after they do, um, you know, they do the thing at the foreclosure sale or whatever. So on the second page, though, it says, now mind you, I just read it said state of Nevada. On the second page, it says state of Georgia, 
city slash county of Gwinnett sworn to and uh, subscribe before me the 23rd day. And then it's got the seal for Georgia, but then it's got under it, I guess, the notary's name, and it has Notary Public State of Nevada crossed out and written Georgia. (laughs) That does not work. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm like, this don't look right to me. Like, how can they, from the first page, it's saying, in the state of Nevada, but then on the second page you got a seal for Georgia, and then you then crossed out Nevada and handwritten Georgia on this second page of an affidavit. Well, nice try, but no cigar. Yeah, yeah. The, the person supposedly is in Nevada, but it's notarized in Georgia. Supposedly. That's what it says. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah, well, that doesn't work. You know, I think the person is supposed to be in in Georgia. That's supposedly, I think that's where the person is supposed to be. Yeah, Yeah. well, are are they big on having uh, uh, people fly from Nevada to Georgia for notarizations? (laughs) So So what do I need? I mean, I know I need to do a motion to strike the... Motion to strike it as uh, improper. What I would recommend you do, Keisha, is Mm -hmm. go and I've done two webinars on affidavits, okay? Mm -hmm. The second one that I did is the one that you really want to zero in on because it addresses this stuff exactly what you're talking about. And And there was case law and stuff in there. Okay. Okay, so then when I do the motion to strike... I need to put in like the case law to strike, or just a point well, that it doesn't. Well, yeah, you can, it. you can, yeah, you can point to the cases. You go, go listen to that webinar okay. because it was uh, the the focus of it was on whether affidavits were any good, the the uh, notarizations and stuff like that, and the statements made. <laughs> within the affidavits that address those kind of things specifically. So that's really the one you want to go listen to. Okay, I'll do it. I was like, this doesn't seem right. I'm like, why mm, do you say no. the state of Nevada on the front when it's telling all this stuff about this person? Then when I switched, I turned the page, but I guess people wouldn't pay attention to that if they're not looking at everything. But This is um, the typical, this is typical nonsense that they try, Keisha. That's nothing okay. new under the sun. You got this kind of bogus crap that goes on all the time. And, you know, it takes people understanding it to look at it and go, <laughs> wait a minute, this is bogus as a $3 bill with Clinton's picture on it. Either right. one of the Clinton's right. picture. Right. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, you just okay. you, you go, go, go through that second webinar on the uh, affidavits that I did. There's two of them in there. Okay, sounds good. And actually, I wanted to update you guys with the um, the case that I have with PPS, the one who called my cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to the attorney, and I told him, you know, I looked, I actually called the Secretary of State, got their register agent, and at the time, it says that their status is inactive. So I called, well, I sent him an email, told him I have my case, I'm sending it over to, I mean, I have my complaint. I'm sending it to you. I'm not playing anymore. You know, he called me Friday and wanted to see. Now they upped it to $7,500. And this is what he said. 
he says they're a small company and they're family owned and you know they have put some measures in place now so that this doesn't happen again but with the amount of money that you're wanting it just doesn't seem like they will be able to stay in business and i said listen here it's not my fault that they don't have procedures in place so that they don't violate the law then maybe they could stay in business however (laughs) they violated my statutory right is this if we can settle this today then I'm willing to take this amount of money, no less than that. He said, okay, I'm going to call them. He called me today, but I was busy, so I couldn't call him. So he said, I really want to make sure that you call me back so that we can we can settle this without you filing a, a complaint against them. So I'm just hoping tomorrow when I call him that they're willing to go ahead and give me that offer that I'm ready to settle with. Um, but I'm, Sounds I told him like I'm not you got a good to... possibility of that. Yes. So I will let you guys know tomorrow um, on the call what I get with that. But I'm like, what does it mean when they're inactive? Because I was trying to ask the Secretary of State. But um, when they're inactive for the Secretary of State, do it just mean that they are not supposed to collect? I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um Take the truth. I don't. I don't know the exact answer. How to answer that for you? But it's, okay, it's they're uh, they need to have a registered agent if they're a, uh, a corporation, which I assume they are. Well, they are. They do don't. have a registered agent, but the the state, the Secretary of State said that they were inactive at this time yeah. because yeah. they needed to contact um, comp, uh, the comptroller for tax forfeiture. Yeah, if that could be if they're inactive, uh, they may possibly have let their uh, technically let their corporate status uh, expire when they don't uh, expire registration mm-hmm. like they're supposed to. Then they are rendered inactive and therefore not authorized to do business. Right. Yeah. In that case, yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So I yep. wasn't really sure, so I didn't want to talk too much about it with him, but I was like, I, w- I was trying to look yeah. and try to get some more answers on what it could mean. So in the yeah. future, if I talk to somebody and I see it, I can have a better understanding. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, okay. why, uh, why, why is this company uh, operating uh, when they're in inactive status with the Secretary of State? That's a problem in itself, you know. Um, but if we can get this settled right now, let's, let's get this done. So yes. tell us, let us know okay. tomorrow, okay? I sure will. Thank you, guys. I was looking right. for that webinar today. All right. Okay. Man, we're going up to the panhandle of Texas. And i got to unmute you because you didn't mute yourself. Hello, panhandle Texas. Somebody from the panhandle area, it looks like. Hello? I'm not hearing you. There you go. Yeah, hi, this is, Kevin. this is Kevin from Georgia. I Kevin from Texas. Georgia? Good grief. Yeah, I, I, How do I get Panhandle of Texas <laughs> yeah, to I Georgia? Got, I just got a Texas phone, Phone. that's all. Oh, okay. Yeah, I talked to you guys. My I goodness, you guys. left this wonderful place and went to Georgia? Uh, no, I, I never was in uh, uh, Texas. I just, uh, my okay. uh, nephew was nice enough to, to uh, get me a uh, phone on his yep. uh, thing, yep. you know? 
Okay. All right, what you got for us tonight? Yeah, yeah I talked to you guys about uh, three weeks ago. I, I uh-huh. just joined your site, and Jesus, okay, good. Tons of information there, and I just want to find out uh, what's my next move. I was uh, the guy who ha- had the USDA loan that was accelerated, and they they turned the ninety-one thousand dollar loan into seven hundred and forty thousand dollars. And I sent him a dispute letter and a validation of the debt. And within a week, they replied and rescinded the foreclosure because of faulty paperwork. And then they. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, then then they offered me a a delinquency workout agreement or a a payment assistant or a payment moratorium. So me and my wife were pretty happy about that. We were going to try to go for the payment uh, moratorium, you know, Mm -hmm. because both of us are to say we're in a financial mess, you know? Yeah. Uh, then three days ago, we got another letter from the U.S. State, uh, DA and said they're accelerating our loan again. Um, do, do they have to offer the, uh, uh, honor that first offer that they, uh, you know? Well, about I to... think I think what I would do is go back and and write them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't see the the paper. I mean, if they make you an offer, I uh, I would write them back and say, okay, now you sent this notice of acceleration, but I've enclosed a copy of another letter we received, uh, you know, uh, offering this or that or, or whatever. Uh, it would appear that some wires are crossed at the USDA. Uh, can you please uncross these wires and explain to me uh, what's going on here? Uh, I appreciate okay. your assistance in this matter, and then just wait and see see what you get back. All right, and I'm I, I'm I'm trying to stay in front of this uh, thing here. Yeah, well, that's a good and, way to be. Is don't you know try and stay yeah. out in front of it instead of letting it stick and, up on you and beat you up. Yeah, exactly. I listened to a couple of those uh, 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 foreclosure bashes. Is, is it a foreclosure bash webinar yeah. series? Uh-huh. And and I I heard Jesse say something. There's one uh, webinar out there that that talks about. Uh, having a bank that the uh, the original uh, lender and ha- has the note, and they turned it over to a lawyer. But I looked for it; I c- I just couldn't find it. Do you guys know anything about that? Mm, no, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. But uh, tomorrow night on the uh, the call, Jesse is going to be on there. It's an open oh. call tomorrow night, and Jesse will be on there. So I would encourage you to uh, uh, if you have questions. What? Uh, get on tomorrow night. Yeah, what time is that? Uh, that, that starts call? at eight o'clock Eastern, and that's eight on o'clock. Blog Talk Radio. Eight o'clock. I think I yeah. have. have yeah. Think. If you're yeah, a member yeah, of the Dave. website, you should get the uh, Dave. Uh, emails. Yes. Dave. Tomorrow night's a webinar. I thought it was an open call. Nope. My mistake. No, so what, it's, I, what, I what is the webinar well. tomorrow night? Beating credit cards. Oh. My error. My (laughs) error. All right, then the alternative to that is put your question in the form. Okay. And and make sure you make sure you post it in the saving your home section. All right. right Of the form because you know you want to stay on subject and uh, Jesse Jesse does the uh, responses in there. 
So that's how you can get to him. And then next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow, will be an open call. Okay. And um, I need somebody, if, if you know anybody, to share the subscription with to the website, if that's, if that's possible. I heard you guys talk Terry, about it. Terry helps uh, coordinate that. How do I how do I get in touch with her? Uh, she's on this call. Terry, are you multitasking? <laughs> Muted. Um, just send me an email at Queen Songbird, all one word, Queen Songbird, at gmail dot com. Put in there that you need to share a subscription, and I will share your information with someone else who's looking to do the same. That's queensongbird.com? No, queensongbird at gmail.com. Oh, at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, and one, one more question. Uh, to know that it's from, um, you know, your, I, I think that uh, USDA is the original owner and still owns the note, has the note. It says in uh, my security deed here, the lender is USA. US what? You you kind of cut out there. USDA? No, USA. United States of America. Okay. RHS, and then USDA. That who that's who the lender is. So I don't think. And I went down to the um, courthouse, the court of records, and there's only one uh, loan on there, and that's uh, from the USDA. No transfers, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So that you, does, does that mean that they are the original uh, lender? Very possibly, yeah. Uh, on a USDA deal, they uh, that may be. Uh... Uh, a deal is done by the government. I'm not, you know, familiar with that stuff, but I'd say that's a decent possibility. Yeah, that's what. But is there any way I can confirm that 100%? Well, if you, you know, you got that those extra things, uh, designations, the USA dot whatever stuff like that. Google that. See what comes up. Okay. Yeah, I mean. Be resourceful. Google these things. When when you see something strange like that, it's like, well, I don't know what this is. Pop it in the Google window. I mean, I do that all the time. I I, I go to Google so many times a day, it's just unreal. <laughs> well, why do, okay. how, do you, how do you think I find all this stuff? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I'm out in Google land all the time. There you go. Yeah, well, you can tell by the foam in his mouth. There you go. Yeah, oh, I'm well, foaming I, at the I, mouth, Jeff. I'm a rabid dog when it comes to using right. Google. You are a rabid when it comes to Google. <laughs> and then you have then you have your Wednesday night call, right? That's Terry's call. Uh huh. That's Terry's call. That's not. Yep. And Jesse's only on the Tuesday night call. Yeah, Jesse's on Tuesday nights. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for the info. All right. You're welcome. You guys have a great night. All right. You too. All uh, right. Now. Go to Southern California. You have been unmuted. Go ahead. Hey, Dave. How's it going tonight? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. 
I have a question about TCPA since I know you know a lot about it, and I figure I can get just the right answer from you. Well, we'll um, try and answer it for you if we can. All right, great. Um, so I've been dealing with this TCPA case. They called 17 times um, over a matter of three months. Um, but I passed it off uh, to my attorney to take over. Okay. And I'm trying to get through to both of them. But, you know, it, it's still that question keeps coming up about prior express consent. I know it's written express consent. And no, 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 no. Let me clarify. Prior, written prior express consent is for telemarketing. The other stuff, it does not require written, but it requires express consent. Okay. 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 So uh, what they're saying express consent is that I put my number on the original creditor's application, but... When I signed up for service, first of all, I signed up over the phone, and I told them. What do you, what do you mean, number. signed up for service? What What are you talking I, about? Um, cable service. Okay, this is regarding a, a cable deal. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then you know, I told them, you know, I rescinded my con- you know consent over the phone. I said, no, that number is only going to be for emergency. Okay. When did when did you do that? At the time that you got the cable service? Yes. Okay. So, you know, I figure somewhere on in my file at the company that they should have this is for emergency only. Right? Um, I don't know. I don't know what they do keeping the records. Okay. Okay, so so what I'm trying to get across is, you know, to the attorneys that they don't have Prior express consent. Do you guys have any um, any case law about emergency purposes for TCPA? Or? Well, it it boils down to you say that you gave them that phone number, but at the time you gave it, you stated it was for emergency purposes only. Right. Okay. All right. That's. Uh, this is going to be what you got there is you're you're going to have a he said she said because you don't have any written evidence of that you don't have anything other than you stating it you being able to state it under oath in a deposition or in testimony in court right neither did they because it was well well, that's that's, yeah well that's what i was going to say are they saying that what what evidence are they saying that they have that they have expressed consent. They're saying that the that because of the number on an application that they were able to call my cell phone. No. That's not express consent. No. Now it depends it depends you know, have you got a copy of the application? No. Get tell them you want one. Okay, so go after it and dis- go well go after it in discovery. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're just now, doing discovery now. Yeah, okay. Now, listen carefully to what I'm going to say. When you go after it in discovery and you get it, what are you looking for? You're looking to see if it specifically says 
and here this, this still doesn't negate you you saying emergency only. Um, you are looking to see if they had language in there saying, you know, uh, by giving us your number, you are giving us express consent to call you with an auto dialer or, you know, us or uh, any successors or whatever to okay. call you with an auto dialer. You're looking for that language. This is getting into the fine print. If there isn't anything like that, they don't have a prayer, period, because you just give them having a number uh, doesn't show express consent. Okay. It just that's, doesn't. That's... Right. See, uh, giving somebody a number, you know, I could I could give you my my number one two three four five six seven eight. Okay. Does that mean just because I gave you that number that I have somehow some way given you express consent to call me with an auto dialer? No, I just gave you my phone number. See the difference? Right. Express consent means I expressly tell you, you may call me at this number with an auto dialer. And see, look up express consent versus implied consent. Google those terms and read about them so that you understand the difference between express consent and implied consent. They're two totally different animals. And what they try and do all the time is take where there's, you may have given implied consent, but you didn't give express consent, but they, they make it out to be express consent. And that's where your argument is going to come in. And if you've turned that over to a lawyer, that lawyer needs to be sharp enough to understand that. If he doesn't, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to have to get through to him because, um, um, yeah, I did check up implied versus express. Now, if if the other side comes back with an application that has my number on it, that's not proof, is it? Because that's what... Well, here again, what what was I saying? Get the application and look and see exactly what it says on there. Uh-huh. Read, in other words, read the fine print. Uh-huh. I remember Jeff or John saying sometime in the past that, that, that there was a certain point in time, like a few years ago, where they started adding that provision in the applications in the fine print. Is Right. Yeah. And I think I'm um, wanting to say I think that was... Well, it's more in more recent years be, because of the litigation. You saw uh, more of that kind of stuff popping up uh, all like three, four years ago because uh-huh. of, with the advent of uh, a lot of TCPA litigation, they started finding out that, ooh, man, you know, we got to cover our butt with this stuff. we got to put that in there. But if this was something that occurred more prior to that, uh, there's a good chance it wasn't in there. But here again, okay. you know, don't don't assume anything. Do discovery. You know, you you want to you want a, a legible copy of any uh, alleged application for service. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. And you notice I put a word in there: a legible copy. Yes. In other words, you know, the, a lot of these things have very small font printing in it, 
and you know, like these credit card agreements, a lot of times they'll make copies. You can't even read the damn things. You want to be able to read that. You want to see what's there. You want to see that mm-hmm. fine print. But you you argue uh, if you know if I was in your shoes, I'm going to argue that. Well, I never gave you express consent. And on top of that, when I applied for the uh, uh, service, I specifically uh, told them at the time that I gave the number that it was for emergency purposes only. Okay, and, and that, on top that of that, precludes, that precludes uh, express consent right there. Okay. And, you know, on top of that, when I did call, uh, they, they were calling over three months, and then and then it stopped. And in the same month, I called the company, and the representative said, oh, you know, sorry, this account's not uh, with us anymore, and the phone calls were a mistake, exact word. So that, would you say that's more ammo also to say that it, it was well, a mistake? Of course, of course. The calls were that a mistake. That is my complaint. Oh, Absolutely. That's in my complaint. So um, it's right there that they admitted that it was a mistake. Right. Um, I mean, okay. Right, right. Yep. Okay. Yep, you use every bit of that kind of stuff you can, absolutely. They'd use it against you. you got you, you got to use it against them. If you don't, you're foolish. All right, I hear that. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, I'll you're welcome. I'll look for that application. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, tell them you want a legible copy because a lot of those kind of things have very small font printing on it and you want to be able to see all the small print all the fine print all right let's go to somewhere else in california just it says california and i'm muting you and unmuting you because you didn't do that first california hello there we go. I'm trying to get you out of the queue. It's not reacting. Go ahead. Sweetheart, everybody. Oh, yeah, we were talking about you earlier. Were your ears <laughs> burning? No, but my fingers were from typing all these stupid letters. <laughs> Anyways, I, I know you're probably getting past time, and I just had two quick questions. Okay. One is for Terry, the first one. And, Terry, what is the difference between rep- – Hello? Yeah, why? Hello. Okay. What is the difference between reporting and updating? Okay. Reporting is furnishing according to them, okay, the furnisher. Really, there's no difference. Okay. But um, they'll say, well, we stopped reporting. However... They do not finish that sentence by saying, we didn't furnish any new information. Okay, reporting is actually when the credit reporting agency prepares a credit report and information contained in your credit file is then put in that report. That's reporting. What the credit or what the furnishers are doing is furnishing information. Now, different companies are on different cycles depending on their subscription with the credit reporting agencies 
and I, each of the three of them, you know, they charge a different amount. And they have what is called in-cycle and out-of-cycle uh, reporting or updating. They have to update their files, their master file, which means all of the accounts they're reporting to that credit reporting agency, uh, according to their contract. And when I spoke to Equifax, the girl there told me it's 30, 60, or 90 days. Now, a smaller company uh, or a smaller lender, either way, it it doesn't matter whether it's a collector or or a, a creditor, a smaller company may only want to do that every 90 days because it's going to be a cheaper subscription. And they don't do a volume of business that's going to justify the cost of updating every 30 days. They have to update. They can't just furnish information once and leave it sit there for seven years and never update their master file. If there are no changes, let's say they, let's say it's Midland, and they put a credit card account on there, and it does sit there for seven years. Well, that doesn't mean that they furnished it seven years ago, and then the credit reporting agency just decided to leave it parked there. That's not how that works. What it means is, if in the little box where it says date last reported, mm-hmm. shows almost seven years ago, that just means that every time they did their in-cycle update, which means their master file, there were no changes made to that trade line. If it's in your credit file, it is in there for the purpose of reporting, period. Okay. Collection. Okay. No, now I got it. Because um, Ditech, they're <laughs> quite frankly, they're all over the place. I can't. I'm having to do the spreadsheet, like Terry said, to try and figure out what exactly they're doing. Because like, it'll change in three days, and then it won't change for ten days, and then it'll change again. Like They're all over the place when they do stuff. So they're obviously uh, reporting information to the CRAs uh, almost on a daily basis then. Yeah, I've, I've seen some where in three days the information changed three times. Oh, jeez. And this is after dispute. This is after one, two, three dispute. One dispute, re-dispute. Then I disputed it again, and I'm getting ready to send out the reinvestigation letter for the second round of dispute tomorrow. They're, yeah, they're, they're lunatic. I, I don't even know what to call them. I know they know what they're doing, but I don't think they know that I'm watching them this closely. <laughs> Well, if they're making those kind of changes, I don't think they know what they're doing. Yeah, I. You know, it, I mean, no, no company that's that has a handle on what they're doing is going to be changing information in a credit report every day, from day to day. It's just okay. not going to happen. I mean, no reasonable person, uh, you know, is going to see that kind of stuff when you don't have some kind of activity, some kind of information. Uh, going on uh, that that is going to change 
what they could legitimately report. I mean, it's just not going to happen on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Well, they're, as far as I'm concerned, they're a bunch of lunatics. and <laughs> It could very well be. I mean, yeah. you know, well, well, it's not like we haven't seen them before. Well, the the former company, Green Tree, and I brought this up yeah. before, they got smacked for $63 million by the CFPB. Well, it doesn't for, sound like they're uh, operating much different as yeah. uh, as Ditech than they were with Green Tree. But, you know, yeah. a name change doesn't mean you magically start doing things right. No, yeah, <laughs> that's obvious. And my second question is, Ditech does not have an agent for service of process in California. On the Secretary of State's website, you go there and you do the business entity search, and it lists CT Corporation System, but no address. You can, just, you can serve CT Corporation System at any address. As long, if that's the registered agent, you can go to any of their offices. You can Google them and find out where they are. Just Google CT Corporation System, your city. Okay. You'll, you'll find it. Bank of America has CT Corporation System in Los Angeles. So I, I can just use that address. Uh, well, you yeah, you can you can serve CT Corporation System at any of their offices oh, if okay. that's their registered agent. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's like um, we've got uh, actually CT Corporation System as the registered agent for a company that uh, you know if they don't get their head out of their butt, I'm going to be suing here real quick. <laughs> uh, and their their offices on the uh, ninth floor of a skyscraper downtown and uh they they've they're registered there's a number of registered agent companies on that same place in that same office okay so uh i mean if it, it doesn't matter you just go to one of their offices it doesn't have to be in your particular state or anything because the, the company nationally represents them as their agent for service okay i was just trying to figure out um i'm, I'm sending out a, a couple notices of intent to litigate tomorrow and I want to carbon copy them to CT, or or to their service no, the process. No, okay. no, no, don't don't bother with that. Okay, but when I do serve them, I was thinking, well, am I going to have to go through the sheriff or the U.S. Marshals or the court or whatever? And I just was trying to think of the easiest way to do it to um, mediate the process. Well, you're going to sue in federal court. Yeah. I'm okay. getting out of. I'm getting. I'm. I'm never going to fool with state court again. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's a. Yeah. Absolute um, mess. I'll tell you what I do uh, down here, and if I go to serve this, uh, uh, I have a friend, and uh, literally, I, I live in the north part of Dallas, so we go uh, get on the uh, light rail train, and go down there because this building is right down at Pearl, and uh, uh, where the train stops. I literally get off the train, walk across the street, go into the building, and go up to the ninth floor. He does the service. He hands them the uh, summons and complaint, and then we go down to the West End barbecue joint and have some really good barbecue and then come back up here. <laughs> there you go. And, and because you serve them through the registered agent, uh, they never. I've never had an argument with it. I've, I've never. He's never had to do a, a certificate of service because they always answer. And the moment they okay. answer, boom, they've, you know, there's no question about whether they get served. Okay. Because I was trying to think, I'm strategizing with FCRA. I've got a stack of FDCPA. I've got a stack of FCRA against them. But I want to start doing it like Jesse does in little dinks. And 
one of the things about small claims in the state of California is that you have to be able to serve they have to have an agent for service to process in California. And to clarify that, I just needed, and you just clarified it as any CT corporation I can do it with. So now I can start doing much like Jesse does is small claims federal, small claims federal, small claim, you know, and, and they're going to do whatever they're going to do, remove it to federal, you know, but it's going to be like $1,000 lawsuits. So we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. Yeah, but if if their agent is a CT Corporation system, you can you serve them at any of those company offices because they're a national company, uh, and it's not like well, only their office in this city is a uh, an agent for them. No, they're they're a registered agent to accept legal service uh, at any of their offices. All right, perfect. Good. Well, uh, thanks again. And what's sure. the webinar tomorrow? Credit cards. Beating, Beating credit, credit cards. cards. Beating credit cards. I'll just list all yeah. of that. And, one. and yeah. you know, you know how John knows that? How? Because he's the one that's it. doing it. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I'll listen in just for that. Just, just to hear John lay it down. Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll be, they'll be good information there. No, I'm sure it'll apply to everything. And uh, a big thank you to Jeff for talking to me for so long on uh, Friday. We had a wonderful conversation and. Definitely stirred our heads and had some good laughs and really good. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff likes to laugh once in a while. Oh yeah, it was great <laughs> talking to him. <laughs> All right, guys. All be right. well. Have a good night. Bye. All right, you too. Okay, everybody, I'm going to go ahead and pull the plug on this travel and road show tonight. That's all the people we had in the queue, and it's. Uh, just about uh, past time, so I'd like to thank everybody that joined us tonight. Thank you, Jeff, John, and uh, Terry for joining me on the call tonight. And tomorrow night, as we were just speaking of, uh, it's Beating Credit Cards webinar. That's for the members. And, of course, if you're not a member yet, what are you waiting for? Go to Knockout Collectors. Just open a browser and type in knockoutcollectors.net. And... That'll take you to Jesse's website. All you got to do is put in your email address and your name and uh, hit the button. You will get an email back. That's an opt-in for spam. There's a link in that. Click, in that. click on that. You're going to get a second email. And if you don't get it, look in your spam folder because it may have disappeared in there. But you should get them back right away. The second email you get will have some information and it'll have a link to get into the free part of the site where you can get a good taste of uh, what all is in there, the type of information, the quality of it, so on and so forth. And then to become a member, uh, to have access to everything, it's $99 for the first month, $49 a month after that for as long as you want to be a member, no commitments. But the best part is, you have a 60-day money-back guarantee. There's no risk. You can get in there and you can study to your heart's content for two months. And if for whatever reason you decide, oh, it's just not for me, all you got to do is follow the procedure and you get your money back. Jesse doesn't even know about it until after it happens. So um, that's up to you. Uh, if you want to learn how to stand up for your rights and learn how to do things properly and how to use the courts properly, which is something that almost nobody knows in this country, and that's all by design. Uh, We know how to use the courts. 
but that's because we've studied the information on the website and a bunch of other stuff too, and you can do the same. So anyway, tomorrow night it is a webinar that's for members only, and then, of course, Wednesday night is Terry's call. If you are not on her email list, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list. And you could even put that in the subject line if you want. But get it done right away now. Don't wait till Wednesday afternoon because you probably won't get the reminder back in time. So bottom line is uh, there's lots of help out here if you're willing to help yourself. We don't do it for you. We assist you doing it. So thanks to everybody again for joining us tonight. Have a great evening, and you will hear my voice probably somewhere along the line tomorrow night, even though John is doing the webinar. Good night, everybody. Good night. night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.